Welcome to the second episode of the second series of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women in customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Muscat, and in today's episode, we'll be hearing one woman's story about becoming an independent woman of colour, side hustling, patriarchy, and the resilience handed down through generations of Nigerian women. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. She graduated with a law degree from Hull University before switching into HR management for her master's and began her career in telecoms before moving into the public sector and starting her own CX consulting business, Client Service Coach, in 2018. A true entrepreneur, she founded her latest venture during a pandemic as CEO of Nuno Silk. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Lara Felix Omanubi. Hey, Lara. Hi, Claire. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? Good. It's pretty hot today, though, right? <laughs> it is baking, <laughs> boiling. Um, I, I could not even wear any makeup today or anything. I've got my fan in front of me, and I'm just hoping I don't melt before the end of this. <laughs> me too, me too. Um, so just welcome to all the listeners as well. It's great to have you with us today. Um, so just to begin, I thought it's probably worth setting the scene a little bit because mm-hmm. you and I have spoken before, haven't we? Yes, yes, we have. <laughs> um, so just for the listeners, uh, Lara is one of the women who actually inspired me to make the podcast because <laughs> before um, all of this started, uh, I did an IGTV series interviewing entrepreneurs on IGTV and Lara was my second person in the studio and actually the first person I ever had a live real talk with that went on broadcast so I'd just like to say thanks so much for that moment that spurred me on Lara (laughs) (laughs) thank you for having me honestly it was um, a pleasure that you reached out at the time that you did Um, it was very timely I think and it was needed so um, so yeah it was it was it was honestly a pleasure to Mm. to liaise with you and to have that chat And, and I feel like when we were talking Maybe you're just a very personable person, but it felt as though we had known each other. And even now we just kind of get on and we're able to have honest, challenging, meaningful um, and necessary conversations. So so thank you also for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, and if anyone's interested in, in watching the talk, it was actually about not only entrepreneurship, but Black Lives Matter around the time that George Floyd was murdered. And that's available on our YouTube channel too. So on to today. Um, Right. So I think I want to go back to that entrepreneurship conversation and have a slightly different one today because things have moved on slightly, haven't they, from from where you were in your business journey. So I think today I'm going to call this episode Lara Felix talking about becoming an independent woman. What do you think of that title? I think it sounds good because (laughs) becoming is is a verb and I like that you used becoming because it's a journey so I find that with everything that we're doing you can never really say you have arrived you know mm-hmm. it's it's progressive so I like the title it's very mm-hmm. much so me awesome awesome um, I'll definitely write, write that one down now then officially that is our title <laughs> uh, and that means I'm ahead of schedule for this week well done mate <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so I know I asked you this question last time and I'm going to ask it again, but actually this time I'm back on the side hustle too. So <laughs> Lara, is the side hustle struggle real? <sighs> Deep breath. 
<laughs> so that should already give you a bit of an inkling into how big of a yes that is. The side hustle is real. It is very real. It's alive. It's active. And I know that I'm not the only one on the journey of the side hustle. And I know that you're not the only one either. So there's a lot of us that fit into this category. And especially in the world we live in today, where we know that one stream of income, one means of earning a living, quote unquote, it's not enough. It can't sustain you. And in a world where we we have diverse passions and we're allowed to explore those passions and explore those different creative things that are built up inside us. We don't want to be limited. We don't want to be boxed. So it's us basically finding a way to work together and put everything together and, and, and be the fullness of us, which then results in side hustles. Mm-hmm. So with an S, so the side hustle might be one, it could be more than one. <laughs> and, and that's the, my reality. That is what I'm living in, you know. Yeah. Yeah, how many side hustles have you got on now? <laughs> um, actively two, two side and, hustles. Yeah, and a full time job <laughs> and a full time job, and that's amongst every other thing that I'm doing. So I could think of two other things in addition to the two side hustles that I'm doing that may not necessarily generate income or you know work on a more consistent basis, but the side hustle is real, <laughs> and there are many, and um, I don't see them dwindling down anytime soon oh, what, are the, what are the other two things you've got on the go then that I didn't know about <laughs> so, <laughs> I am kind of a jack of all trades right so I also MC. no way yes I didn't know that yes so I MC, but it's it's a low-key kind of thing so because people know that I'm good at coordinating and planning and doing that sort of stuff they'll be like you know what I've got an event and I would really like for you to host it I would really like for you to MC. so so yeah I I MC as well as crazy as that may seem an out-of-pocket so you've got this corporate very business very professional lady here and then on the other hand you can catch me on a Saturday emceeing and getting people on the dance floor or coordinating a, an event or doing something very fun and outlandish. So, so that's one. And then the other, the other thing is I'm very active in my local community church. So mm-hmm. I coordinate services and I do a bit of um, planning. I do some strategic work in terms of getting our programs ready for a Sunday service, or if we have an event mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff. So very, very much so active in other things apart from the two main side hustles which you know about already <laughs> yeah but let's tell the listeners at home because they don't know what, what, okay. what are the two main side hustles if okay, that wasn't so, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know I think client service coach is my baby I don't want to classify it as a side hustle I would yeah. kind of I would I'm inclined to say that my nine to five is my side hustle mm-hmm. and client service coach is my main child but you know they're interchangeable right And then I am launching my own brand of upholstery covers and um, silk bedding specifically geared towards children. But we have got a few things in the adult range as well. So it's called Mimo Silk, M-I-M-O Silk. And um, (laughs) just putting it out there, you know, you asked. (laughs) So so yeah, so I do um, silk bedding, silk accessories and silk um, accessories and upholstery covers for children as well. So this is the truest entrepreneurial journey, right? Absolutely. You came up with an idea, 
hadn't seen it anywhere, checked out the marketplace, found there wasn't anybody doing it, found yeah. your suppliers, um, sourced your supply chain, designed your websites. As the client service coach, has your skills in being able to design your own customer journey and target experience come in useful? Absolutely. And I think this has been the truest test of being behind the principles table, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, I typically go in and say, well, show me how you've embedded um, the customer's persona into yeah. developing your product. Tell me where and what you thought about when you were creating this particular mm-hmm. stage or this particular interaction for the customer. Mm-hmm. So I found myself through mm-hmm. creating this product and going through this entire process, I found myself constantly thinking at every stage, is this going to be beneficial to the people who are going to be using it? How are parents going to feel? What emotion is this evoking? Even up to the placing of the logo, even up to the the choosing of the colors Mm -hmm. and, and just being super, super mindful and, and intentional about everything I was doing because I'm like, I can't afford to fail. I can't afford to to not get it right from the onset, you know, and there's no reason why I shouldn't get it right from the onset, really, because I, I've got all the tools that I need at my disposal, you know, I have it up here. So now it's time to apply it into my processes and how I'm actually engaging with my customer base. So I think I am using myself as a case study of what a good example of ensuring that your customer experience is right and and the truest form of that is with with a product you know with a product is something that's tangible you know um people who are who do things that are more service oriented it can be very subjective Mm. yeah in measuring customer experience and customer feedback but when you've got a product i find that the responses and the feedback is objective because it's it's you've got a tangible thing in front of you and it's more about the practicalities it's not necessarily about the know-how or the style or the the communication or the the way you've spoken or whatever the case may be you know when you've got a product when you've got something that's tangible the customer experience is different because the product itself is speaking without you having to explain yourself or to discuss or to kind of get a buy-in, the product does the talking. Well, it's got to, hasn't it? You made me think of a few, a few different things there. Yeah. Um, so, I think first off, having started my own consulting business a couple of years ago, that during the pandemic pretty much disappeared because in real life stuff couldn't happen. I couldn't do the keynote. Mm. You know, having a side, say, a side hustle, or you know, working on something else as an alternative stream of income is so important um Mm -hmm. but when I set up that business I didn't have to really think so much about the customer experience itself um in terms of what I applied because it's relatively simple it was Mm -hmm. me providing a service and you know as long as I um communicated yeah communicated well and um you know it was like lovely to my clients delivered like a great service that was quite intuitive but um in the last couple of months working on my two new side hustle so building this membership community for women in CX and building this coaching business proposition that I'm launching tomorrow albeit by the time this airs it will have been live for a couple of months (laughs) Um, you know really having to go back to the stuff that I preach in terms Mm. of what I do for my clients so um 
when I first started CMX, I started by helping startups to start their company. But I wasn't just helping them with customer experience, which brings us me, me to my, my next point, um, which is I think we forget a lot of the time just how much the product or the service itself, the proposition, has to do with the success of a business. And for me, there's too much, I think, attention put on CX as some kind of panacea that will cure everything. If you've not mm. got a great product, a great proposition, mm-hmm. a great service, mm-hmm. no amount of great CX is ever going to cure that. So um, so I think it's it's really great for women like ourselves who kind of get to see it from so many different angles. Yeah, absolutely. But nothing quite compares to starting a business yourself, having to be the, the CEO, the marketing director, the customer experience director, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, the, whole, the whole piece. Because, yeah. I think, you know, when you work in a business, you don't get to see all of that because you're responsible for hmm, this part. But, yeah. um, but for big businesses, I think, you know, kind of getting out of that silo mentality is so important when it comes to CX because you know, CX should be influencing the proposition as much as how it is delivered. Um, and if those two things aren't interfacing, hey, you're wasting your time, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And and one of the first things I do when I have a new client, and I'm happy that you mentioned it, is I, I understand their business model. I understand what, it, what service it is that they're providing or what product it is that they're providing. And I, and I try and understand okay, what was the vision behind it? What was the purpose? What was the intention? And and has that intention and that purpose been fulfilled holistically? Because what happens is that, as you rightly said, people treat CX as a silo to the product and the service. No, 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 no. People are are more smarter than what you think they are you're not going to just say I'm really sorry here's a voucher and because that's like a Mm band-aid you know getting to the root cause of why the 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 experience was not holistically satisfactory is is just as important and if you haven't got a product that meets certain standards that's the first thing we need to address Mm -hmm. that impacts that impacts confidence in terms of how you're selling it that impacts credibility integrity it impacts a whole load of stuff so it's about finding the balance between having a great product and a great service and how those two things meet and and marry with one another to to support one another essentially yeah I'd maybe say it's three the what the how Mm. and the who (laughs) I'm taking us a bit off track here um um that debate So the next question I think I'm going to ask you um, is going against what I'd said initially because I think we talked about so much awesome stuff there. I think (laughs) I want to talk talk about um, how in the last conversation you told me how proudly Nigerian you are. Yeah. And of late, I've been meeting so many Nigerian women um, (laughs) from Nigeria because I went and didn't physically go. I did my first in uh, Lagos for West Africa. Uh, summit and mm-hmm. on Instagram met loads of women who uh, live in Nigeria but also in the UK too and and I've noticed something about you ladies you are seriously strong and <laughs> very determined and you stand out from the crowd in terms of your your confidence to put yourselves out there I just wondered is this something about Nigerian culture that makes women um, so strong and confident uh, absolutely I think Nigerian Nigerians in general they're very resilient 
people. We are a group of very resilient, very hardworking people. And the environment we live in has made it so that people need to put their best foot forward and their strongest foot forward at all times. So we are a developing country. So you can imagine the um, the cons that are placed in front of us. But I think one, one thing that is unique about Nigerians is that they've taken that con and they've been able to make it a, a positive thing. They've been able to make lemonade out of um, <laughs> lemons, you know? So they've been able to actually we've been able to actually transform the way the status quo. Mm -hmm. We don't let things around us define us. And mm -hmm. I would definitely say it has to do with the culture as well. You know, the culture is very strong, very independent. Mm -hmm. It's very loud. It's very boisterous. Everything that a Nigerian does is a little bit over the top. You know, I would tell you to go and look at our Nigerian weddings. Uh, <laughs> I have never been to a Nigerian wedding you will know what over the top is. Um, and even if you go to less affluent areas, there's, there's, a, there's a form of joy that naturally comes out from those environments. So it's, 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 I think it's more so about the mindset and, and the, the community that's around us. So another thing about um, Nigeria is that we're very community oriented, very much so. So big families, loads of friends, loads of aunties, loads of uncles. So when you're in that sort of environment, you have to have your voice heard some sort of way, right? Mm -hmm. So you, of course you're going to be loud. Of course you're going to put your your best foot forward and you've got people who are rooting for, for you on the left, on the right. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I think that's a common thing with Nigerians in general. In terms of Nigerian women, I... I am happy. I am proud to be a Nigerian woman. Nigerian women are strong. We are tough. We are even more resilient <laughs> than the average Nigerian, you know, than the average Nigerian man. And that's because I think we've been dealt a hard card in the past. And we know that there's some things that have to be taken mm -hmm. that's not going to be given to you just that easily. So Nigerian women are very, very academically inclined, you know, hard workers. A lot of times um, I know that Nigerian women have had to be the breadwinner in their families due to one thing or the other. And, you know, we, Nigeria is not a welfare state. It's not a welfare society. So it's either you, you go out there and, and make something happen or you don't survive, you know. So when you kind of don't have a choice, you find a way to to make things happen. I I know my grandma. She she owned a farm which was across about two acres of land. She used to farm. She managed it herself, and she had no husband to help her. So that sort of hardworking nature then went into my grand my. So that was my great grandmother. It went into my grandma, who then came to this country, studied to be a nurse, was a nurse, went back, used her degree for for. To, to do nursing and to help people in the community. And then that entrepreneurial sort of hardworking thing transpired down to my mum, who also owns several businesses, is a hardworking woman. So it's almost like I've seen this thing come down okay. from generation to generation. How can I be any different? And all you do is top it, isn't it? So it's just about us topping what has happened before us because we have a legacy to uphold essentially. So, so yeah, and we know that the world is not necessarily fair to women. Mm. 
as we've discussed before, mm -hmm. the world is not necessarily fair to black people and the world isn't necessarily fair to black women. So you're a woman and you're black. You have mm -hmm. something more to prove, you know, you have something more to, to fight for. So, so yeah, there is a, a grit, there is a resilience um, in the, in the Nigerian women. And, and we've, we've just learned to be that way. And I think we love it. I think we, you know, even the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we express ourselves, it's, it's just full of confidence, it's full of life. And, mm -hmm. and yeah. That's awesome. And um, just picking up on something you said there, so you said so Nigerian people, especially Nigerian women, had some specific hardships or were dealt difficult cards. What did you yeah. mean by that? So specific hardships to do with um, the way the culture is set up. So the culture of different tribes can be set up in a very oppressive manner. So in a very patriarchal manner where women are limited and constrained to certain roles such as you know still being the only being the person who has to stay at home take care of the kids mm -hmm. and and that's it doesn't have a voice when it comes to family matters and I think a generation of women arose who challenged that status quo and said you know what I was born for more than this mm -hmm. you know I also deserve an education because there's still some parts in Nigeria where education for women is limited. And we know that women are so resourceful. It's, it's like seeing a star and putting um, a blanket over it because of an archaic mindset right the patriarchy <laughs> the pa it's patriarchy at its finest and you know our culture is entwined in that i know there's specific cultures where you know even after if a woman is widowed for example she is not entitled to anything so she and her children are left on their own so there have been instances where a woman unfortunately has been widowed at a young age and because she was never allowed to work she was never allowed to fend for herself or do anything she was never allowed to get an education or or make something of herself she's been left in in such a rut you know and for children that come out of that environment for example if that woman was to have daughters mm. Daughters would obviously see that and say, I am making up my mind that this will never be me. Mm -hmm. I will always have a source of income for myself. I will always make sure that I'm able to fend for myself and my children to come. And I'm sure the, the mother in that instance will also imbibe that in her children that, listen, you need to be independent mm -hmm. because you're not always going to have people to rely on. So I think it's this, it's this force of independence that has come through and has happened through unfortunate circumstances but necessary circumstances to push to push us into the the light essentially so so that is is what has happened and I think we can never ever negate the place of seeing what the generation before us have done because that's how we learn you know, we're, we're constantly reading memoirs and um, books about people's lives and that sort of thing. So what we're doing is we're looking at their mistakes. We're looking at their cons. We're looking at their pros, the things that they succeeded at. And we're taking the things that they succeeded at. We're learning from the mistakes that they've made. And that's what Nigerian women have had to do. Mm -hmm. And this is the way we shine. This is the way we flourish. Mm -hmm. And you also said, so kind of like we've got gender as one challenge, but then being mm -hmm. a woman of colour is like the the next kind of challenge what yeah what do you mean by that so i i think being a woman of color is even harder because a classic example would be the view that women of color 
are given. Um, and that is that they are strong, they can handle it. Mm. But because a certain group of people are strong and can handle something doesn't mean they need to. Mm-hmm. Right. So in, in the bid to think they are strong, they can handle it. There's a lot of negating mm-hmm. of emotion, of opportunity, um, of responsibility, of support, of love, of care that happens. So, so we find that black women are looked at as well they can handle it they're tough they're loud they're they're confident they they don't need to be handed certain things on a platter like other women are and not to say that those women are handed it on a platter literally mm-hmm. but i'm just using that as a metaphor for as an example for um opportunities mm-hmm. so um a black woman typically would have to do more than her white woman counterpart Mm. to be recognized, to be appreciated. And I've seen a lot of things in different industries that have highlighted that. So we know the, the, the things that people of color face in general. And I, I, we see it if we want to use the case of police brutality, which is one of the things that we spoke about in our earlier conversation. If you see the way um, police officers treat black women, It's the same way, it's the same aggression as they would use to treat a black man. Mm. Does that make sense? So does it make sense? It doesn't make sense. (laughs) I understand what you're saying, but it doesn't make sense. Is that down to like bias or... So that there is a there's racism. A, there's, there's racism in there. There could be racism in there. There could be an unconscious bias because I'm not one of those people who accounts everything to racism. That oh well, she didn't get the job because she was black, or he didn't get it because he was black. I don't account anything um, disproportionately to racism. Mm-hmm. It's an unconscious bias that just tends to happen. If we look at years ago, years and years ago, black women have been doing hard labor sort of jobs mm. inadvertently, even while supporting the home, such as carrying firewood and just doing gritty, hard sort of jobs. And even when it comes down to black women's features, they're stronger, right? Mm. They're different, they're unique, they're bolder. You know, we've got bigger hips, bigger bones, bigger a bigger nose, a wider face. So little things like that, can create an unconscious bias in somebody, you know, and I, I know specifically in, in a research came out about a new set of doctors. So I think first year doctors, and they said that in the labor wards, because one thing we see is that more black women die. The mortality rate for black women in, after having a child is times four of that of a white woman. And why is that? Mm-hmm. So the research found that a, a group of doctors, non unbeknownst to them, just believed that when black women complained of being in pain, wow. that their pain threshold was actually higher than a white woman's. And they just thought that they probably were just exaggerating and they were really in pain. So you, you see those instances more times than not that a black woman would say, excuse me, I'm, I'm uncomfortable, I'm in pain, and they would be ignored or they would be, um, pain medication would be withheld from them. Or it's until something is extremely critical and dire mm. that something happens. Anybody that wants to challenge this should just go and look at the research. The mortality rate for black women oh. 
is higher. And, and it's just the numbers. It's, it's, it's not a negotiable thing. So why is that when they're being treated by the exact same people? You know, and I'm not saying that people are doing it intentionally. Yeah, you know, it's, mm. it's it's just a perception, and it's just you you're thinking, oh, you know, look at her, she's rounder, or you know, her skin is thicker. Because if you were to push into my arm like this, mm. you're not going to see a mark on the surface. If I was to push into your arm, Claire, like this, mm. I'm going to see a mark there. Mm. So that's me kind of justifying why I see reason as to why you would possibly think I'm not feeling the pain the same way you are because my skin color is different and the way things appear on my skin is different mm. from yours so ob it's obvious when you are in pain Claire because we can see it on you it's not obvious when I'm in pain <laughs> because of my melanin so so yeah it's just a whole raft of things that seeps into every that seeps into every mm. sphere of life. So that's just the medical side mm. of things. And mm. and um, as for what I've seen in, in the workplace, women are un underrepresented. Black women mm. are even more underrepresented. Mm. You know, so um, it's something, I think it's something that's changing because I love, I love women in general because I see women rallying together. Women are rallying together from all backgrounds all ages mm. women are rallying coming together to truly and genuinely support one another one of the pages i follow on linkedin female lead yes the best. i love the female lead. the best <laughs> the <laughs> best you know so it, it just shows that there is a community of women out there um there are people who are mindful of these things and mm. and that we're trying to change we're trying to make a change but it's unfortunate that the change is not coming fast enough Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so just back to the theme of independence then and I, I realize we've probably spoken for 30 minutes already so oh goodness and now now Joachim's just interrupted I don't know how we need to just go back again <laughs> so we could just go on to the next question yeah 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 but I'm just conscious because that we try to make them to make them 30 minutes Oh. Um, so I might just ask you the top advice question and then we'll finish <laughs> okay okay, okay. There's still loads of great stuff in there is that all right yeah. you okay <laughs> could you just email um Sharon and say we'll be five minutes because oh, it's half past two already um okay um okay. I'll try and keep it quick I know to say you know I talk a lot <laughs> me too babe me too so Lara like We've talked about entrepreneurship, we've talked about becoming independent women, we've talked about your journey, the journey of your ancestors, the yeah. theme that runs down um, history when there's strong women, it courses through our veins and, it, and it's unstoppable. I just wondered what your kind of top three messages or pieces of advice are to other women out there, perhaps on an entrepreneurial journey or discovering their way to independence. What would you want to say to them? One thing I would say to start off with is knowing your why. What is your vision for your life? What, what fires you up? What is that thing that you connect with the most? What, where, where's your passion? Understand yourself. And when you understand yourself, that will lead on to point two, which is to maximize your place of influence maximize your the resources around you maximize and and enhance those things that you see 
that are your talents, right? Mm-hmm. So, so when you you understand your vision, you understand your why, you understand those foundational precepts, then you can start building on it and saying, actually, this is my why because my talent and my strength lies here. So I'm going to maximize this. I'm I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be confident. I'm going to be brave. I'm not going to be limited by the things that I see around me or by anyone. I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned on this journey is you need to be your own biggest cheerleader. Mm. And that's the reality. You need to be your biggest cheerleader. You need to be your biggest marketer, your own marketer. You need to be your biggest investor. You need to invest in yourself. So understand that. And then the third thing would be seize every opportunity that comes your way. Forget about how it's going to work out. Say yes. Okay. Say yes. When Claire first approached me, my first answer was yes. And then I was like, wait, what did I sign up to? go back and then then you figure it out but seize these opportunities because as as we've said opportunity opportunities for women don't come by as half as often as they do for men Mm -hmm. so seize every opportunity every partnership opportunity every interaction seize it every every opportunity to market yourself seize it every opportunity to 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 blow your own trumpet to toot your own horn and to just talk about why you are great at what you're doing seize it because no one else is gonna do it for you and there is no other you out there there is nobody like you you know you might think oh the market i want to go into is saturated but actually if you were created for something if 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 you know that this is why i am on earth this is why God has created me to be this kind of woman that I am. And I'm full of these things. And when I do this, I find fulfillment. Mm. You have to, you have to, you have to pursue it. You have to pursue it. Mm. So, and, and I would say this, sometimes what you're called to, what your vision is, is what your solution kind of is to, to a particular, to a particular problem is not what you find joyous right so let me just explain this a little bit so it could potentially be that this is something that upsets you like whenever you see this you just get upset with it and you're like you could have done this you could have done that or this is the solution to that that might be it that might be your why and that was what it was for me when I when I started client service coach it was that I was seeing bad customer service and it would just annoy me and I would write reviews and I would contact people and I would speak to a manager and I was like this is my why it's, it wasn't necessarily something that I woke up in the morning thinking oh oh today I just want to think about customer service and how I'm going to do this how I'm going to do that no it was more like in my day-to-day I was noticing that oh that was a great interaction I really appreciated that or I love the way that customer service agent spoke to me or I love the way I was greeted when I entered the store or that shouldn't have happened in this store or that they should fix their online chat box, you know? So just try and draw inferences and the sky is not your limit. Mm, I love that, babe. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. You are an absolute queen. Thank you. You too, I, love, I love chatting to you. You're always guaranteed, guaranteed real talk with Lara <laughs> 100. <laughs> um, and that's great advice. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. So just it's time to say goodbye, Lara. And Aww. to thank you and to thank the listeners at home. I can't wait to hang out with you very soon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Claire, for putting on this amazing, amazing 
show, this this platform for women. It's amazing. And I can't wait for the CX um, women community to launch. That is something to definitely be on the lookout for. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So I'll see you soon. Take care. All bye. Right. Bye. bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Women in CX podcast with me, Claire Musket. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a like, subscribe and leave us a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on. And if you want to know more, please join us at womenincx.community and follow the Women in CX page on LinkedIn. Join us again next week where I'll be talking to another inspiring woman in CX about her experience of becoming a working mother, founding a business with her best friend in CX recruitment and her advice on how to get hired. See you all next week.